It's so good to see you. I just want to say a special hello to all those who are watching with us online and especially those in our correctional facility here in the county. Come on, Summit family, as always. Let's welcome those. We're glad that you're watching. And I'll tell you who we should welcome because I know him well enough to know he's watching. I don't know what time it is in Moldova right now, but he'll be watching. Pastor JP, Pastor JP, we miss you and we're hoping you're having a good time. Come on, one more time. Let's show our appreciation for Pastor JP. Hey, I do want to remind you, they asked me to remind you about our Christmas boxes. We're still handing those out. And so as you leave today, be sure to uh, get one of those. And it's just a, a great time of ministry during Christmas for you and your family to, to grab some stuff for either a boy or a girl and, and fill it up with some, some good stuff for them. Hey, well, if you have your Bibles today, go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I get the uh, privilege of sharing the word with you today, and I'm excited. I feel like God has given me something that uh, has been on my heart for a while now. And I actually shared the uh, beginning part of summer this word, some part of this word with the Wednesday night Bible study, but I really felt it on my word for this morning. So I want to share it again. And that is, I want to share on the subject of prayer. How many believe prayer is important? Amen. It's kind of important. And I entitled my message today, leave no doubts. Leave no doubt, pray and expect God to answer. Because I believe that that's the type of prayers that God has called us to pray. Amen to pray and expect him to answer. You know, God has been taking me on a journey the past uh, three to four years on prayer. Um, I've always prayed, but I don't know uh, past these three or four years if I've really prayed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You pray, but you ain't really prayed. This really began to hit me about three to four years ago when I, something uh, you know, small happened in my life. I had my first child, my daughter. I had Ava Grace, and Ava Grace saw you'll probably know her because she runs through here a lot. And um, I know all fathers probably felt this way, but for me, when I had Ava Grace, especially in 2019, I didn't even know what was coming in 2020 and 21 and 22. I really felt this burden on me to how do I raise a daughter in 2019? Like, Lord, you picked the wrong guy, you know. Uh, what do I do? And I just began to pray, Lord, Lord, help me to understand how, how do you do this with all the craziness going on in our world today. And it just, you know, I don't have to get into all that. You know exactly what that is. But I said, Lord, I, I want to raise my daughter in such a way that she knows you, that she loves you, that she walks according to your word. Help me do that. And, you know, the Lord didn't send me a book on three steps to better parenting. He didn't send me any of those things. But the Lord, I really believe what the Lord began to teach me the past three to four years is to pray and leave no doubts is to pray and expect him to answer. I believe, I believe what the Lord was really telling me to do is, listen, there's nothing in your power that you can do, but if you'll, if you'll hand her over to me, the one who created her, and you'll pray to me and believe in me, then I'll answer your prayers because we serve a God who answers prayers. Amen, everybody? I want to share... Before we jump into the word in Romans chapter 8, I want to share some stats with you. Pastor JP sent me this. This is a Gallup poll that, um, that was, took uh, the beginning part of this year. And um, I found this really interesting. And I want to share some of these stats with you before we jump into the word. Here's a Gallup poll. Here's what they said. This is the vast majority of U.S. adults believe in God, but the 81% who do so is down six percentage points from 2017. I'm, I'm quoting right from the Gallup poll this morning. And is the lowest in Gallup's trend. Between 1944 and 2011, more than 90% of Americans believed in God. And so if you would have polled people from 
1944 through 2011, what you would have found is that people in America, 90% of or, or more believe in God. Now, since 2011, nine percentage points, we have gone down nine percentage points of people who believe in God. And again, I don't have to get into why that is. I know you know why that is, but it's because of of wicked and evil ideologies that have infiltrated all sorts of different areas of our life. Things like entertainment, our school system, all of those things, and belief in God has begun to wane. I want to keep going here. Between, those between the ages of 18 and 29, that's our future, only 62% believe in God. Are y'all encouraged yet? I mean, I'm starting with good news, right? Here's, what, here's another stat, and this is where I want to get to today. 42% of all Americans say that God hears prayers and can intervene on a person's behalf. So 42% of Americans will say and admit that God hears prayers and can intervene on a person's behalf. That's a really important stat because the scripture says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, that he'll heal our land. And so at best, what we have right now is 42% of Americans who believe that God hears prayers, can intervene, and will answer those prayers. 28% of all Americans say God hears prayers but cannot intervene. And 11% of Americans think that God does neither. How many would say, listen, we need a restoration in our country again of mighty and explosive prayers in our country? Amen, everybody? We need, we need people who will stand up and pray. And so we need to do better than what we're doing right now. We need people who will pray and expect that God will answer. Expect that God will answer. Since we're talking on stats, I'll share with you one more. I don't know how to pronounce this guy's name, but Herbert Lockyer, or something to that effect, in his book, All the Prayers of the Bible, indicates this, that there are 650 definite prayers in the Bible. And of those 650 prayers, no less than 450 have recorded answers. And here's what he indicates. Probably more than 450 prayers in the Bible were answered. That's almost 70% of prayers that were answered in the Bible. And so I believe that, that, that if the prayer, if the, if the Bible rather, is an indication of the type of prayers that we ought to be praying, then we ought to be the kind of people who don't just pray, but we pray and expect God to answer. We expect God to answer. We pray in such a way as to leave no doubt. To leave no doubt. That's the kind of people that I think that we ought to be. So today, I don't want to just talk about prayer. I want to talk about answer prayer. Because I believe that answer prayer ought to be the rule, not the exception. The rule, not the exception. I believe that it is God's desire, and I believe it is his heart to answer us when we pray to him. Everybody said amen to that. Do you believe that? So today, I wanna, before we jump, we're about to jump into Romans chapter 8, but I want to I speak to two different types of people today. I believe as I was preparing for this message this week, the Lord put these two types of people on my heart to speak directly to. And I don't, I don't usually do this. Well, I don't preach usually, but I, I, I want to speak directly to you. And here's the first one is those who pray, those whose prayer life has just become dual. Okay, if you're just honest with yourself, you've been praying, but sometimes you just feel like when you pray, it just hits the roof and it just comes right back down. And so I believe, I really believe if that's you, if you felt like that your prayer life has not been where you want it to be, that I believe God has a word for you today. And I want you to lean in what God has to say, because I believe that God wants to change the way 
that you pray. Here's a second type of person that I want to speak to today are those who have been believing God for something. It hasn't happened and it's affected your faith. How many know that we live in sort of an awkward reality right now? We, we believe the word of God. We declare the word of God. We declare the promises of God. We believe the promises of God, but sometimes we have to leave our prayer closet. We have to leave the church and we don't see the promises of God, right? We're believing, we're trusting, but we don't always see the promises of God. And I believe today that God wants to change the way that we pray in such a way where we pray and leave no doubt and expect him to answer. Expect him to answer. I want to do that by going to Romans chapter 8. So if you'll put that up there for me. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 32. Here's what Paul says. He says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? And I love this. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he, how will he not also, along with him, graciously, graciously give us all things? Come on, somebody said all things. I believe God wants to give us all things. I want to talk about that today. And I, believe, I want to give us two values this morning that I think that we need to embrace in order to become the type of people who pray and leave no doubt, who pray and expect God to answer. Two values that we need to embrace. In other words, I think if we just jump into prayer and just, you know, grit our teeth and pick ourselves up by the bootstraps and pray as hard as we can and really believe that he'll answer, I think that's an okay strategy. But I think there's some values that are in the word of God that we need in order to pray and expect God to answer. I want to give them to you today based on those verses. And here's the first one, and this is in your notes. We need to embrace hope. Embrace hope. There is a lot of hopelessness in our world today. There's a lot of hopelessness in our world today. And I think it's God's will. I think it's God's plan for us to embrace hope in our life. Embrace hope in our world. Embrace hope in our church. Embrace hope for what God is doing in our community. No matter what's happening in our world, rather we receive the word of God and we embrace the hope of what God's word has to say about our life, about our family, about our country, and about our world. We embrace hope. Two ways that we can embrace hope. Here's the first one is that we need to believe that God is who he says that he is. That God is who he says that he is. This is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. The, the, the precursor, if you will, of Romans chapter 8, verse 31, is that you know who God is. He says, if God is for you, nobody can be against you. In other words, there's something in the very nature of who God is, that if God is for you, nothing in our world can stand against you. Nothing in a world can stand against you because God is who he says that he is. You know, the tendency sometimes, and I think this, this is a detriment to our prayer life, us praying in such a way where we expect God to answer, the tendency sometimes is to give the devil more power than he really has. We believe that the devil has more power than he really has. And if you think that, that, that he has all this power, that, that, that will be a detriment to your prayer life because you'll start, stop believing for things that God has in store for you. If you think the devil just roams free in our world today, you're mistaken. It isn't true. 
I'm going to give you three things about the devil, first of all, that we need to understand. But before I do that, let me just say, I'm not, I'm, not mis, uh, I'm not discounting that there's a real enemy in our world. Amen? There's a real enemy in our world. We, we, we have a real enemy, and we need to understand that, and we need to be aware of that, but we do not need to give him undue power. So here's the three things I want you to understand about the devil. Okay? Here's the first one, is that he is a created being. Did you know that? The devil is a created being. He's a created being, which is to say he is a dependent being. John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and that's Jesus. In the beginning was Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And here's what it says. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Which is to say this. The only uncreated being is God. Is God. The devil is created. That leads me to my second point. The devil is a limited being. He's a limited being. For example, he's not all powerful. Did you know that? The devil is not all powerful. He can't do whatever he wants to do to you. The only power that the enemy has over our lives is the power that we give to him when we believe his lies. We believe his lies. The scripture says that he is a liar and he is the father of all lies. He's a liar and he's not all powerful. Here's the second thing that he's not. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at one time. He's limited. I love the book of Job. Because you know what the devil had to do to tempt Job? He had to go to God to get permission. Can you imagine the devil walking in God's office and saying, hey, if you, don't, if you have a minute, can I ask you a question? He's limited in what he can do. He's a created being. He is a limited being. And number three, and this is the most important, I want you to understand this, he is a defeated being. The devil is a defeated being. He's defeated. I want to give you two verses to prove this, that he's defeated. And this is an intricate part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel isn't just that he forgave us of our sins. And that is true, and I'm so thankful for that. The gospel isn't just that we have new life, and I'm thankful for that, and that's true. But the gospel is that Jesus reigns in victory over every enemy, and that includes the devil. That includes the enemy. Do you know who preached the first gospel? God did. God preached the first gospel in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when he said this, I will put enmity between you and and the woman, he's talking to the serpent of Genesis chapter 3. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall, he shall, talking about Jesus, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Which is to say, he is foretelling the cross of Jesus Christ. And what, what God is preaching in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is there is a day that is coming when Jesus will die on the cross for the sins of his people, and the devil will be defeated once and for all. That is the message of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. Let me give you one more. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says this, the reason the Son of God appeared. So what was the purpose that Jesus came? What was his purpose? What was his reasoning? 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 tells us that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the enemy, was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why God came. And can I tell you something? He accomplished that for which he was set to accomplish. The enemy has been defeated in your life. He's a created being. 
He's a limited being and he is a defeated being. So we need to believe that God who is who he says that he is. Number two is we need to believe that the best is yet to come. If we're going to embrace hope, and I believe it's God's will for us today to embrace hope, not to embrace that everything is, is bad and just hold on for dear life. No, no, no. We embrace hope. We need to believe that God is who he says he is. And number two, we need to believe that the best is yet to come. Here's a word that I think that we need to put in our vocabulary again. And it is the word optimism. Optimism. I look up the definition of optimism on Google because, you know, Google is a, a really good, a reliable source, right? Here's what Google had to say on the definition of optimism. It said, hopefulness and confidence about the future or the successful outcome of something. I'm going to read that again. Hopefulness and confidence about the future or the successful outcome of something. So we need to believe that the best is yet to come and embrace optimism. You say, is this just another feel-good message? This is another feel-good message. Now listen to me. This is not a feel-good message. This is a message anchored in the very nature of who God is. Because if God is for us, nobody can be against us. And if that's true... If it's true that God is for you, and he is, if it's true that God is for you, nothing can be against you. I really believe with everything in me, if I can just take a minute and say this, I believe with everything in me, if I had one message to preach over and over and over again, it would be this message. Because I believe that in this day and in this hour, it is the mantle of Christians to take up during this time and to believe that God is who he says he is and embrace the hope for their life. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And it's good. Early in Romans chapter 8, he says he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We need to embrace hope again. Embrace hope again. Embrace hope for our life. I believe there are people in here today who, who, who there's, there's a business idea that you've been sitting on for a long time. I believe that God desires for you to embrace hope again for your future. You don't feel smart enough. You don't feel qualified enough. You don't have an education. I believe that God wants you to embrace hope again for your life. Hope again for your life. I believe that we have preachers and ministers in this room that God says embrace hope again for your life. I believe there's addictions that we have been facing in our lives that we feel like will never be broken. And I believe the word of God for us today is to embrace hope again for your life. There are children who have gone astray and feel like that they will never come back to the Lord. And I believe the word of the Lord is embrace hope again for your life. Embrace hope again. Embrace hope again for your family. Embrace hope again for our country. Everybody's got a death sentence on America. But not the church of Jesus Christ. Not the church of Jesus Christ because we embrace hope. Just a, yeah, come on. Just a few verses later, Romans chapter 8 verse 35. Can you put that up there? A few verses later, he says, this is Paul in the same thought process. If God is for us, nobody can be against us. Here, here's what he goes on to say. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship separate us from the love of Christ? Shall persecution, famine, or nakedness? How many have said the words inflation the past few months or year? How many worried about prices and gas prices? Paul says, listen, no matter what happens in our world, 
Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Shall danger or sword. Then he goes on to the next verse or a couple of verses after this. And he says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen. We're conquerors. That's how we ought to live. Not a defeated lifestyle, a conqueror lifestyle. We live in victory because we have the hope that is in Jesus Christ. He is who he says he is. I am who he says I am. And I believe that God has nothing but good for you. Amen? So we need to embrace hope. I believe that God wants to answer our prayers because God loves you. He cares about you. And he's got a future for you. That's what Jeremiah says. Here's a second value that we need to embrace today. We need to embrace hope. Actually, I got ahead of myself. Let me say this. Here's a point of application. I want to give us a point of application that I think that we, we need today. The Lord, I feel like this week said, don't just, don't just talk in theory, but get, get, get applicable. And here, here's, here's, here's a point of application I want to give us is don't settle. Don't settle. That's in your notes today. You can write that down if you're taking notes. Don't settle. Don't settle. Another way of saying is, is don't accept the status quo. Don't accept the status quo. The tendency is to say, well, this is just the plan that God has for me. This is the will that God has for me. I'm just going to try to get through. I'm going to do the best as I can. Listen, no, 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 no. Don't settle. Believe that God has more for you. And my encouragement to you this week is that as you're living, as you go throughout your week, as you go throughout your life, as thoughts begin to come in of, of doubts and, 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 and depression, whatever it is, here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says. It says, take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. And I believe that that's what God wants to do for us today. So don't settle. That's my encouragement to you today. Don't settle. Here's a second value that I think we need to embrace. We need to embrace hope. Here's the second one. Embrace faith. Embrace faith. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He'll give us all things. You know, I've heard people say before, if, if, if all God ever did for us was give us Jesus, if all God ever did for us was forgive us of our sins, if all God ever did for us was die for us on a cross and he did enough. How many of you would say, first of all, that's true. And we should live a life of gratitude and, 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 and thankfulness that, that God did do that for us. Here's the second thing you need to understand. That's not all he did for you. That's not all he did for you. That's what Paul is indicating in Romans chapter 8, verse 32, that if Jesus died on the cross for you, if God gave you Jesus, that should be an indicator to you that God is a giver. He's a giver, and he loves to give to you. He loves to give to you. God's not holding back from you. He loves to give to you. The gospel is a reminder the gospel is a reminder that God loves us, he cares about us, and he desires to give to us. This is what God wants to do. He wants to give to our lives. You know, we say, I believe the gospel. I'm so thankful for the gospel. I'm so thankful that Jesus died for me. I'm so thankful that God gave me Jesus. And then in the very next breath, we doubt that God might come through with, uh, on, on our behalf as a result of faith, we, we doubt God. Don't say you believe the gospel and then doubt him in other areas. If God gave you Jesus, he'll keep giving to you. He'll keep blessing you. 
I believe that the gospel is a reminder that God desires to give to his children. Do you know the gospel begins with a prayer? The gospel begins with a prayer. If you've ever doubted that God answers prayers, if you're saved today and you're walking in the righteousness of Jesus, you ought to be reminded that the very fact that I'm saved is a result of the fact that God answers prayers. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise. God made a promise to you. And let me tell you something today. He keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. Mark chapter 11, uh, verses 20 through 24. I want to read this to you. I don't have it on the screen. But Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 24, the disciples, they're passing by. Actually, let me give you the background for this. Jesus is, is passing by a fig tree, okay? He's passing by a fig tree, and he just curses the fig tree out of nowhere. It's just kind of random. Like, Jesus is random sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? He curses a fig tree. And in Mark chapter 11, verse 20 through 24, the disciples are walking back by and they notice that this fig tree is dead. Which, just as a side note, by the way, the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they sinned is they sewed some fig leaves together and covered themselves. That's what they did. I think that Jesus is, is, is cursing the old way of life when he curses the fig tree. And here's what happens. As they passed by in the morning, they saw a fig tree withered away at its roots. And Peter remembered. He remembered that Jesus did that. Remembered and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you have cursed has withered. And Jesus answered him. And here's what he says. This is pretty simple right here. He says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up, and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, does not doubt in his heart, but believes, but that, uh, believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. That's a promise of God. Believe and it will be yours. So I'm going to give you three ways that prayer changes things. Three things that prayer changes. Here's the first one. is prayer changes situations. I believe prayer changes situations. I believe there is not a situation in this world that when God shows up, things will not change. Prayer changes things. Number two, prayer changes people. Prayer changes people. But most importantly, this is the last one. Don't get up and leave when I say this, all right? Just, just hold on. Is prayer changes God. Prayer changes God. Now, what I don't mean is that prayer changes the nature of God. I don't think that prayer changes the nature of God. I believe God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says, Scripture says, I am the Lord your God, and I change not. But a lot of times what we have interpreted that to meaning is that we've, we've interpreted that to mean that God is stuck in his ways, you know, and if I'm dealing with a sickness in my body, you know, there's some who believe that God doesn't heal anymore. I think that is the furthest thing from what God is doing in our world today. That God is stuck in his ways and he won't, if I'm sick, then this is just a lot, my lot in life. What am I going to do? My favorite example of this is in the book of Jonah. When Jonah goes to Nineveh and pronounces judgment on that city, God doesn't say, I'm going to bring judgment on that city unless they repent. He doesn't say any of those things. He just says, I'm going to pronounce judgment on that city. 
Here's what the king of Nineveh does. I believe it's John chapter three. The king of Nineveh calls for a time of prayer and fasting. He calls for a time of prayer and fasting. And you know what God does? He relents. He relents. The God who says, I'm going to pronounce judgment, he changes course and says, I'm going to, I'm going to show mercy. Why? Because when the people of God begin to pray, God's heart begins to move. God, let me tell you something, the nature of God doesn't change. God is loving. God is gracious. God is merciful. He is sovereign. All of those things are true. But when the people of God begin to pray, God's heart begins to move. Pastor Kemp just said this while ago as he was praying. He said, when we pray, God begins to move. And you need to understand that today, that whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, it's not just your lot in life. When you begin to pray, God hears your prayer and he delights to answer them. He delights to answer them. So the first point of application was don't settle. Here's the second one is, here's the second one. And I want you to take this with you this week is ask God. Ask God. Amanda, if you would come and play behind me this morning. Ask God. I believe that's God's will for us today is ask God. Just ask him. Take, take every thought captive and replace it with a prayer. Replace it with a prayer. We need to ask God. Here's what James chapter 4 verse 2 says. I love this. I'm just going to end today by giving you just a few promises. Is that okay? A few promises of scripture. I want you to receive this this morning. James chapter 4 verse 2 says, You do not have... Because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask. And so if we are not experiencing the power of God in our world today, it's not because there's a sufficiency problem in heaven, it's because there's an asking problem on earth. If we're not experiencing answered prayers in our world today, it's not because they're running low in heaven, it's because there's a belief problem on earth. Because God responds to faith. God responds to prayer. God responds to his people. And can I tell you this? You are his people. You are his son. And you are his daughter. And when you say, Lord, I need, I need your touch and I need your healing. I need you to come through in my life. Whatever it is, God hears you and he delights to answer you. You have not because you ask not. I'm going to give you a second one. James 5.16. I want to spend some time on this one. Just for a second. James 5.16. Now here, listen to what James does here. He, he starts with a specific command. And I'm going to close with this, okay? He starts with a specific command. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So there's the command, okay? Now he roots that in a general principle. Can I just teach for a second? Is that all right? Well, I'm going to get a little teachery, all right? A specific command, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Here's the general principle. A prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's a principle of scripture, or might I say it's a promise of scripture. That when the prayer of a righteous person, when, when God's people begin to pray, it has power. It is power. Now I got Eric to underline those words. I got Eric to underline those words because um, I'm, I'm going somewhere with that. So your, your, your prayers have power. Now, you may not know this, but the, I'm sure you do. The Bible wasn't written in English, okay? So we have all, when you get on your Bible app on your phone, you have all kind of different translations, okay? That's because people translate verses in different ways. Now, they always have the same meaning for the most part. They always have the same meaning, but different words will be used in different times depending on, 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 on the translation, 
So this is the ESV. I'm an ESV guy, the English Standard Version. And how they have interpreted this is they say the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Here's the King James Version. Have we got any King James Version people in the houses? I know we do. Pastor Kemp, where are you at? Come on, Pastor Kemp said. So when I'm reading this, you just read it through Pastor Kemp's voice. How about that? Here's what the King James Version says, and I love this, man. I love this verse. It says, the effectual, fervent prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer. Did you know that about your prayer? Your prayers are effectual, and they are fervent. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man, listen to this now, they availeth much. They don't just availeth, they availeth much. So answer prayers, they're they're not the exception, they're the rule, because your prayers availeth much. They work. That's how the King James Version translates that. So let me give you one more. The New American Standard Bible, the NASB. The effective prayer. Do you notice that? That your prayers are effective. They're effective. That's what James is trying to communicate here. You've seen that in the last three translations. Your prayers are effective. The effective prayer of a righteous man, listen to this now, can accomplish much. It can accomplish much. Your prayers can accomplish things. They can accomplish things. Now I got him to underline those two words for this reason, that those words effective and accomplish in the original language, they are the same word. Now the Greek language, I don't, I don't know much about it, you know, but I have a degree, but it really don't mean much, right? But the effective and accomplish are the same word in the original language. He's using that Greek word to communicate a point about your prayers. Here's that word. Go to the next slide for me. Here's that word. It is energeo. It's energeo. That's similar to where we get the word energy or energetic. Your prayers are energeo. Can you go back one slide for me to the NASB? In other words, the energeo prayer of a righteous man can energeo much, which is to say something's happening when you pray. I want you to know that this morning. It's not just hitting the ceiling and and coming back down. When you came this morning and you worshiped God and you lifted your hands, you began to sing, you began to speak, something's happening in the spiritual realm. Something's happening. Now go back to that word energeo for me. Energeo, something's happening. Now, there's a couple ways that you can uh, interpret this. You can interpret this to mean that your prayers ought to be energetic. And I think that's a good way of interpreting it. In other words, we we don't just come and pray, dear heavenly father, who thou hast created the heavens and the earth, right? That's not how we pray. Sometimes you got to decree and declare, baby, the promises of God. But I think the better way of interpreting this is that your prayers have power. That when you begin to speak, it's energeoing, that's a word. Something's happening when you begin to speak. Your words are not just words. Your breath is not just breath. When your prayers go to God, something is changing in the spiritual dimension. I believe that. When you begin to speak, something happens. It's effectual. It can accomplish. It's powerful. It is energeo. Something's happening. There's an energy about it. This is not just new age stuff. That's not what I'm pouring out. I'm not someone I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Let me give you a verse to illustrate this. Ephesians chapter one. I love this. I want you to stick with me because I'm closing. Ephesians chapter one. 
Here's what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know, listen to this now, this is where we get to the good stuff, in order that you may know the hope Church, you've been called to a hope, a hope. The rest of the world can, the rest of the world don't have a hope like we have a hope in Jesus. You've been called to a hope that you may know the hope to which he has called you. He's called you to a hope. I mean, I got more I wanna share, but isn't that amazing? You've been called to a hope. No matter what happens in your life, no matter what you're facing, you've been called to a hope. Here's the hope, here's the hope. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power. In other words, you can't even compare this power to anything else. It's crazy, it's ridiculous, this is incomparable. This is a power, listen to this, check this out. For you who believe. This isn't just a power that God has and he's holding back from you. Rather, this is a power that he says it's for you. You have a power. You have power inside of you. God's given you power. So I don't just go to the man of God so that they can have power for me. No, I've got power inside of me. I've got power inside of me. Listen to this. The incomparably great power for all of us who believe. So you may say, what kind of power do I have? Paul's gonna answer that. That power is the same. So he's gonna compare the power you have to something else. He says that power is the same power as the mighty strength he, God, exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, which is the same. You have the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Can you go back to that last verse, verse 20? That God exerted, that God exerted that's the same word that James uses in James 5, 16. That's energeo. In other words, he's saying that God energeoed when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Dare I say this morning that when you pray, when you speak, when you open your mouth to speak to God and begin to declare and decree his promises, it is the same power that rose Christ Jesus from the dead. He rose him from the dead. What I'm trying to communicate to you today, this morning, is that you can pray and leave no doubt because God desires to give to you. And not only does he desire to give to you, but your prayers have power. Your prayers have power. If you need proof that God loves to give to you, say, how do I know? How do I know that God wants to give to me? Just look to the cross. Look to the cross. If you need proof that God loves to give to you, look to the cross. If you need proof that your prayers have power, how many have ever just, can we just get real for a second? How many have ever just doubted before? You feel like you're praying, but you feel like, man, this is not doing much. I can just feel it, it's not doing much. If you need proof that God desires to give to you, look to the cross. But if you need proof that your prayers have power, look to the empty grave. Look to the empty grave. If Jesus is really alive, 
And he is, by the way. And if the grave is really empty, then your prayers have power. Your prayers have power. Can I give you one more translation of James 5, 16? Eugene Peterson, in the message paraphrase, said it this way in James 5, 16. I love this, man. The prayer of a person living right with God, those prayers, they are powerful to be reckoned with. To be reckoned with. Your prayers, they are to be reckoned with. To be reckoned with. So I'm not giving undue power to an enemy that he doesn't have. You know what the devil should be? He should be looking at me saying, man, that's, I don't know what I'm gonna do about that. I don't know what I'm gonna do about that. The people of God are starting to pray. And when the people of God start to pray, God begins to move. Because your prayers are to be reckoned with. And I believe with everything in me, I believe that sicknesses are going to be healed starting this morning because your prayers are to be reckoned with. I believe that prodigals are gonna begin to come home because your prayers are to be reckoned with. They're to be reckoned with. I believe this morning, by the way, did you know there's one prayer that God always answers? One prayer. There's no doubt, no doubt ever, he will always answer it. And here's the prayer. Lord, come into my life and save me and change me. He always answers that prayer. And by the way, he doesn't stop giving when he answers that prayer. Let me give you one more thing and I'm gonna pray for us this morning. I love this quote from Leonard Ravenhill. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Leonard Ravenhill, here's what he says, at the judgment seat, the most embarrassing thing the believer will face will be the smallness of his prayer. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna be embarrassed. I, I wanna pray big prayers. I wanna pray big prayers and believe that God has good in store for you, amen? You received that this morning, church? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We're so thankful, God. We're so thankful that you love us. We're so thankful that you desire to give to us. We're so thankful for the way that you've already given to us, God, and the ways that you keep giving to us. If you're here today with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, and you say, Lord, I just, I wanna give my life to Jesus today. I wanna start with that prayer. I wanna start by saying, Lord, I give you my life. Come on, if that's you, and you know, it's not about lifting a hand, but I just think it does something in your heart. If you say, that's me, I wanna give my life to Jesus. Would you just lift the hand, you can put it up and just put it right back down. Put it up and put it right back down. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, Summit Church, can we say this together? Say, Lord Jesus. Come on, say it loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I repent for the way that I've been living. Holy Spirit, would you fill me? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? I give you my life for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to say one more prayer this morning. Come on, why don't we just stand to our feet? How about that? I'm about to close. Let's stand. And I want to pray for faith. 
this morning. I want to pray for faith over your life before I close because I believe that God, the world rather, is in need of of a bunch of Christians who say, I'm going to go out. I'm not going to play defense. I'm going to play offense. So I want to pray one more time. Lord, I thank you for each person in this room today, Lord. I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would give to them, Lord. I pray today that we would embrace the hope that we have in you, God, and we would embrace the faith that comes as a result of being filled with the power of God. Let our cup runneth over this week. Let our cup runneth over this week. Lord, let our cup runneth over this week, God, as we live for you and the power of God exudes from us in our families, in our world, in our workplaces. God, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Come on.